I have in my in my guest bedroom now, which we are now calling a guest bedroom because it's fancy, as opposed to just the spare room. How's it fancy? Well, it has a royal purple feature wall and red velvet curtains. (laughs) It's very fancy. (laughs) It looks either like a royal bedchamber or a bordello. I don't know. Welcome to The Writer and the Critic, a monthly podcast devoted mostly to books, reviews, and whatever else takes our fancy. I'm your host, Kirsten McDermott. With me is my co-host, Ian Mond. Hello, Ian. Hello. And I want to also welcome the three Department of Transport people that are now listening to this podcast. <laughs> because I did a... Uh, so every every uh, couple of weeks, they do a person behind the role thing for, right. you know, for, for my section of DOT, not for the whole organisation, yep. but for my part. And I did one and I mentioned the podcast and there's a link and a couple of people said they would listen and so I'm saying hello to them and that I won't, I won't sw- because I've now got dot people listening to this podcast and I have to follow the code of conduct, <laughs> I will not swear or say I give rude. you 10.5 minutes. Before I swear. <laughs> On that promise. Okay. Uh, I, um, I, I, I shall speak appropriately and as if I'm writing a ministerial correspondence. I do love that your department abbreviates to DOT. It's like your department is a little old lady out there <laughs> with a shopping trolley picking her gladiolis. <laughs> yes. Hello, DOT. Hi, DOT. Hi. <laughs> How's the car? It's good. <laughs> Anywho, this is the hello to to our, to our couple of new listeners, if they are listening. They said they would. I'm not. I'm not holding my breath. You right? can. Let's you can give them a pop way. quiz and see if they did. Yeah. Okay. I will. Okay. Um, okay. So, Kirsten, do you have something to shill? <laughs> to shill. You could have said share. That would have been oh, nice. So, sorry, share. Sorry. Apologies. <laughs> yes. Share. Um, yes, I have. I don't know. Listeners may remember in the before times, I did a PhD. <laughs> And um, I was working with retold fairy tales and things like that. And now, finally, um, the creative work that came out of that, which was a series of seven novelettes, are getting published uh, by Brainjar Press, which is a, a really awesome small press out of Queensland, Australia. And they're coming out, uh, six of them are coming out individually as chapbooks this year, once a month, uh, beginning this month, actually, 15th of February, I think is the um, the launch date. And and then they'll all be collected with the seventh one in, in, a, in a collection um, early next year. But, yes, it is so good to see them actually coming out Finally, a couple of them have been published before, but there are uh, there are three in there that have never been published, so they're brand brand new. Are they and, uh, yeah. ebooks coming out as ebooks as well? Yeah, so they're both. So you can either get them as a digital book, or you can buy um, a, a nice, very nice little physical chapbook. Can you subscribe to the whole bunch? You can subscribe, and I think if you if you you're very good at this, Ian. I think if you. Um, <laughs> I'm actually going to buy them, so I'm asking the questions. As a, as a consumer, I'm asking the questions that you would ask. You can. You, you can get a subscription. I, I believe you get a, a small discount if you subscribe to all six and the collection itself if you if you wanted to wait um, or maybe you want to get the digital ones by subscription and then, you know, shell out for the really pretty physical collection next year if people still buy physical books. Yeah, so really, really Really excited that that's happening. And also this year I am getting uh, my first actual, I guess, reprint 
retrospective collection that is coming out through Trepidatio in July. So um, I'm very, I am actually very about, excited about that. That's about 20 years of, in fact, I think exactly 20 years from when the first story was in there was published, uh, the oldest story in there that was published to when I wrote the the one unpublished novella, which is the going to be the title story of the collection. It's called Hard Places, and I wrote that just I wrote that at the beginning of 2020. It's my last pre-COVID story. <laughs> um, so it's about 20 years of of, of work. I am just happy collection. to see you publishing stuff again. Thank you. I am I am happy to feel like a writer again. <laughs> Yeah, it's that's, been it's been a while. <laughs> because in a sense, this has really just been and the critic. Oh, so podcast. But now, so mean. I know. I had to help <laughs> myself. No, I'm very, I'm very happy, and I, I look forward. And I've, just, and I'm. But while you've been talking, I've just ordered the, <laughs> the chat books. Well so, done, thank you. So, yeah, and I will put a, a link to these uh, to the chat books in the show notes. I don't have. Um, there's not a pre order link to the collection yet, but. Um, We'll get to that later in the year, I guess. Uh, but, yeah, I'll put a link to the Brain Jar um, books in the show notes if anyone is interested in checking those out. Um, and I would love to hear what you think about them if you do. So let's all talk about COVID. Uh, I know let's it was on not. the talking points. I, I too, just, I just no. want to say, you said you wrote <laughs> Welcome to 2020, Volume 3. I thought that, that was funny. Uh, it, it feels like the one year that has gone on forever. Um it feels like we should just this this is just an interstitial period and it will end at some point and then we will proceed to post covid yeah <laughs> and we'll have pre covid and post covid and this hopefully maybe just about a 3 year interstitial period in the middle that is a big blur that we try not to remember except for these brilliant podcasts that we've done in that period that's it the shining lights yes <laughs> the shining lights okay so let's get on to the first book then well, I just want to actually, before we do, I just want to say once again, but even more, I think this month more than ever, is we did not choose these books oh to read God, together. Oh, my God, yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> we did not. I chose a book that I, and I didn't even really know what this book was about. I had just oh. seen a few people whose opinion I trust mention that they just read it. And, in fact, they all said, I'm not even going to tell you what this book is about. Just read it. It's amazing. And I went, well, I... I trust those people's opinions. I have liked books I have liked before. It, I will read this book. So I just pick, picked one like completely randomly, did not even know what it was about, had not come across the author before. And, Ian, you you picked the book you had probably without knowing what mine was about at least. No, I had um, no idea. No, so I had no idea. And, so, oh, my God, this so, was like so, such a curated episode. I know. So just to be cl- to clarify <laughs> – I was aware of A Ghost in the Throat. In fact, I owned a copy of it mm. because it's from Tramp Press, who I happen to really like as a small press publisher. But I bought it just on the fact that it was Tramp Press, not because I knew any- right. I didn't know anything <laughs> about it. And, in fact, I thought it was a novel, and we'll talk about more about mm. that because it really isn't. But, uh, well, you can debate that. But, anyway, um, yeah, so so I didn't know. And I chose the La Batoute because – well, it's been uh, – it was nominated for awards. It was heavily talked about. It's in the top 10 New York Times mm. books for the year. It's not exactly a small book. It's been well and truly, you know, mentioned on every podcast I've been listening to. So I thought <laughs> I'd read it. And a lot of people that I respect really loved it. I note uh, Ben Peek is not one of them. I respect him, but he didn't like it. Uh, well, you like that much. <laughs> uh, more on Ben Peek in a second. But, um, but yeah, amazing. And what was hilarious – and this is a bit of a spoiler probably of what you're going to say – uh, 
I know, again, I don't know what you're going to say, but I have a strong suspicion <laughs> I do know what you're going to say. Okay. I open up the first page of A Ghost in the Throat and it says a female text. This, this is a female text. This is a female text. text. And I Which thought, is a refrain throughout the whole. Yes, this is a female text. And then I reflected on the love I took <laughs> and I thought to myself, hum, hum. We, we, we could not have curated this Honestly, if we were going to pick two books which were just perfect to talk about together as, as you know, um, counterpoint texts, and so, uh, it's, yeah, I couldn't. I started reading. It's actually Doreen's frightening because we keep like, doing oh this. Oh, my God. We, <laughs> but this isn't even like, oh, yeah. isn't it weird? There's this, this is like, oh, my God, these books. This is like, an apotheosis of things that we've been doing to last. Yeah, it's, it's extraordinary. <laughs> Anyways, let's start. So I'm really excited to talk but about I, so I we, are, we, we are going to be talking about, I don't, don't know if we clearly said it, um, so uh, When We Cease to Understand the World, um, which is a translation by Benjamin Labatut. Uh, and translated by and translated by Adrian Nathan West, I should say. Oh yes, sorry. Um, yes, so the book the book is a translation. Labatut's a Chilean author. Yes, um, but he he's the author of the original the original text. And the second book is called A Ghost in the Throat, which is the first prose work by Irish poet Doreen Negrifa. And I had not come across her before, but now I think I'm going to hunt on her poetry um, on the strength of the way she used words in this book. But we'll get to her. Her book later. So, Ian, um, you said why you chose the Labatut. What did you think of it? <laughs> or should we read the blurb first? I will read the blurb. It's a it's a very long one. So, because the book is broken up into five vignettes, it sort of gives a bit of a taste of each of the vignettes, from what I can see. So, anyway, here we go. A fast-paced, mind-expanding literary work about scientific discovery, ethics, and the unsettled distinction between genius and madness. Albert Einstein opens a letter sent to him from the Eastern Front of World War I. Inside, he finds the first exact solution to the equations of general relativity and where that it contains a monster that could destroy his life's work. The great mathematician Alexander Grothendieck tunnels so deeply into abstraction that he tries to cut all ties with the world, terrified of the horror his discoveries might cause. Erwin Schrödinger and Werner Heisenberg battle over the soul of physics after creating two equivalent yet opposed versions of quantum mechanics. Their fight will tear the very fabric of reality, revealing a world stranger than they could have ever imagined. Using extraordinary epoch-defining moments from the history of science, and that's <laughs> the contentious bit, Kirsten, Benjamin Labatut plunges us into exhilarating territory between fact and fiction, progress and destruction, genius and madness. So it actually misses out on the. I think Faber is in there too. Uh, mm. That's the other one. Who's? Um, but it, it's a it's a good overview of. But, but it's a good over. Yeah, it misses one of the things. And then there there is a final vignette about uh, the author meeting a, a mathematician. Well, the, nar- who, the narrator. The narrator. Well, okay, mm. yes, the narrator <laughs> meeting a mathematician uh, who who tends his garden in the night. Yes. Okay. So, Kirsten, you asked me what did I think of it. Yes. I love this book. <laughs> But, but, given I know where this is going, <gasps> you keep saying that. Oh, come on, we know it. Okay, so <laughs> I, I have read around this book a bit. Okay, yep. there are two main problems with this book. One is that it doesn't speak about women at all, at all. I mean, beyond being partners mm-hmm. to these 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 geniuses, uh, you know, their their lovers and partners or, or sexual obsessions or sexual obsessions. Yeah, correct. Number one. Number two, for a book that is about, uh, that is providing historical narrative in a fictional sense, its take on Schrodinger is 
interesting <laughs> to say the least. Oh, very, very interesting to say And the I least. find it fascinating. This is, and I think this was not deliberate, but I, but I still find it interesting that the New York Times book review, which is terrific, actually um, when it speaks about the Heisenberg-Schrodinger chapter, it doesn't mention Schrodinger at all, only focuses <laughs> on Heisenberg. And it's actually... That's that. That's the largest part of the book. That's really if you if you break mm. the book was broken up into five, but in terms of actual uh, coverage, that's probably half the book. The section around uh, quantum mechanics and what Heisenberg discovered and his matrices versus Schrodinger's wave function, etc. Uh, um, and it, it is that section is split essentially equally too. Sort of, you know, like you know, like a quantum thingamabob splitting out between the two char- between the two of them, and yet that book that review completely ignores Schrodinger's part in that section, which is extremely both disturbing, but mm. not disturbing enough given what we know about Schrodinger. So mm. there you go. I've thrown it out there. What, but, what do we know about Schrodinger, Ian? Well, he was a pedophile. That's what we know about Schrodinger. And here's the thing. And I suppose what what disappointed me, and this is a post post after reading the book, is that, that it's been known that he's been, he had predilections for younger uh, women mm-hmm. um, since the 1980s. So it's not like this is a revelation no. that came out two weeks ago. It's There was a biography, which a, a name I've forgotten, uh, was written in the 80s that obviously Labatut would have had access to. And, and I feel that he probably did read it because of the way Schrodinger is suggested at in that story. He, he falls for... Um, the daughter of the owner of the hotel, of the hotel that he stays mm. to convalesce at, because he has a TB to tuberculosis, and um, she's underage, and there is a very uncomfortable scene. Gross he, scene. Gross. Yes, it's terrible. And whether that's Labatut's suggestion of a uh, broader suggestion of, of, of this man's, the problem I have with that scene, apart from the fact that it's gross. And I know we've really just jumped into the real, <laughs> into the deep <laughs> shit already. The, the the problem I have with that scene is that Schrodinger himself is revolted by his actions, and and what you get the feeling from everything I've read around it, Schrodinger was not revolted by his actions. He mm. was quite happy to prey on young girls. This was a thing he did. He wrote about it quite openly, and you know we've we've sort of it it came out more recently. I think this book potentially engendered some discussion again on Schrodinger. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah. But, as you uh, say, it's it's a you know the book itself has attracted a lot of attention. So it's not like it's a, a small press book, which is yeah, which we've excavated. <laughs> yeah. So so I'm not trying to uh, dismiss what you're potentially going to say, and I'm not trying to put words in your mouth either. I know I'm terribly wrong. I'm mansplaining. It's worst worst so thing bad. I, I know I'm very bad. But I just wanted to say that yeah, look, this is I wanted to get it out front because I still do love this book because of what it does uh, in terms of how it treats science, noting that. Yes, it is, to coin a phrase, problematic. Sorry, I shall let, I shall let you go now, Kirsten. Yeah, it, like, it's it's a really odd book. I, I really liked um, the structure of it. I liked a lot of the um, – look, and it, it's difficult with a book uh, that is a translated work from another language that I don't speak. I don't speak any other languages apart from English and a very, very small smattering of German, very small. Don't speak to me in German. I will not understand you. Um, but so, so a lot of the things that I'm, um, you know, that when you talk about the prose and uh, the, the poetics of the prose and things like that, it, it's difficult because this, like where, how much of that comes from the translation, how much of that, you know, it is it is really hard to um, to talk about that. But I did, I think the translation was 
was I'm not even I can't even say the translation was good because I I don't know the original language that was in so I don't know how you know what the fidelity of the translated work is to the original but the text that I had in front of me was was really beautifully written like on a on a sentence level um it was quite well done there were some very nice elegant um allusions and work with metaphor and so on and I think the overall structure of the book and the way it told like it used some facts <laughs> um mostly the you know the broad history of uh, modern science or more modern physics um, in the 20th century and brought in all these different threads and told a story around that which wasn't just about the discovery of X but you know the the, the lead up to it the ramifications of it how it connected with other things in society at the time, um, whether it was just within physics or whether it was, you know, had greater ramifications, which obviously a lot of scientific discoveries and, and work in the 20th century had massive ramifications for people who were not at all connected with the scientific community. Um, and I liked how that was all done. I think that was elegantly done. And I'm not even going to pretend I understand the actual science, um, the mathematics and quantum physics and so on. I have a very, very layman's conceptual understanding of that, but I don't, I, I'm not even going to pretend. But, but just just on that, and that's why one of the things I loved about the Labatut with this book is that he doesn't pretend to go into equations. In fact, like in the, in the uh, Heisenberg chapter, the discoveries are treated like a fever dream. And, 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 that's, and that's what I really appreciated, that it's not this cold... Uh, way of dealing with maths. It's, it, a lot of it is, okay, go ahead. <laughs> well, I, I was going to say that I one of the things I think the book did really well was, um, at least from, from my perspective, very, very, very much a layperson when it comes to, to this area of science, um, most areas of science, I'm not a scientist, um, was I, I did get a very adequate not even at like more than adequate sense of what what all of this work was about, and you know I don't understand it, but I I, I could see the shape of it, I could I could feel it, um, and that was very well done. It's it's really difficult to explain science. Science communicators do an amazing job when they do it well because it is really difficult to explain some of these very, very sophisticated and abstract concepts to a layperson who has no idea and no scientific background. Um, and I do read a lot of, um, I guess, popular science books or books that are commun communicating science to the layperson. Um, and when they're done well, they're done exceptionally well. And I still don't completely understand the science, but I understand you know what what scientists are doing, what the the um, implications are, and the impact of the work, and so on. And I, I think Labatut does this really well with his book. He gives you a really good feel for quantum physics, for the debates and the work that was being done, um, for some of the controversies, and the fact that um, you know some of the stuff remains completely opaque to me is as it should be, <laughs> because I yeah. am not going to understand these high high level mathematical structures and so on um so that was done beautifully and it was it was it wound the science into the narrative in a way that wasn't um you know it, it didn't bog the story down um I wasn't scratching my head every page going but I don't really understand what's happening here I, I didn't really understand it 
but it didn't matter for the purposes of of what this book was doing. And I thought that was an exceptional achievement um, to to communicate this in this very literary poetic way, um, and to give the reader of you know, what, what the reader would feel to be enough of a grounding in this work to understand what the book is then talking about. So exceptionally well done. But here I have, I have two issues with this, with this book. Um, the first of which is it's a bit of a bugbear of mine. Um, this is very much a book which equates genius which is a very that like that's a quite a problematic term in itself what what we talk about when we when we use the word genius and what that means with mental illness though like and this book pretty much does it one to one if if you are a genius a mathematical genius a, a you know if you mind scientific genius you will at some point go mad or or even worse even more egregious your work, your discoveries will come from a place of madness. And I, I push back against that so hard. Uh, and it was that as, as remarkable as that fever dream sequence on the island is um, with, you know, him discovering his matrix or him, yeah, well, well discovering, that's it. It feels like with Heisenberg, that section of the book, and I don't know, I haven't read around Heisenberg. I, I don't know exactly how he developed his theories. So, so um, a lot of it I have. A lot of it is accurate. But what Labatuda's done is he was ill. So the, the, yep. he was feeling ill. He did go to yep. the, the, the island Hegioland or whatever, which yep. I can't, sorry if I mispronounced it. But the whole uh, fever dream that we get, which is which is weird, is it Spinoza involved? And there's, and there's something, someone giving a head job to someone. It's, uh, it's, it's well, weird. there's Goethe and oh, hang on, was Goethe's, Goethe's was Goethe's hallucinations? I think was that was that Schrödinger? It, yeah, I can't it's, remember. It's a lots fever of, dream. Lots of mad scientists hallucinate. That's Labatut. No, but that, that obviously is Labatut. Yeah. That's not that is his hmm. fictional creation. And, and, and as Labatut himself says, as you go through this book, it's there's more fictional stuff in it. Yeah. And so all that is completely made up. So, yeah. so, so it does reach your point that yes, he was in a particular state of mind when he was at that island. But was he that? Well, he he was ill. Yes, he was. Yes, he was ill. Yeah, what was but, he but illness is not was he but, being but the, sick but, is not being mad you know, exactly being, and also the idea the, is that like what this book the thesis one of the theses this book puts forward is somehow that this work comes from outside humans heisenberg doesn't remember in this book heisenberg doesn't remember how he came up with all those the, the theory around matrices he looks at the, that the, at what he's done and he doesn't recognize he recognizes that it's from his hand he has no idea how like it's all just a product of his fever dream and something that the, the book implies is is beyond him possibly some kind of visitation <laughs> you know who knows but the idea that this you know at, at sophisticated enough levels um and i'm I don't like the word sophisticated, how I'm using it, but I can't think of a better word. Um, somehow uh, humans get separated from this. This is this is work that comes to us through madness or is visited upon us or bestowed upon us and we, we are separate as, as embodied human beings from this work. And I don't believe that to be true from what I from what I have read around scientific discovery and so on. Um, 
and there's a lot of eccentric scientists. There's a lot of eccentric people um, every in every <laughs> area of, of knowledge. But there's a difference between eccentricity and, and mental illness. And what this book talks about in in most of the cases is mental illness. It's not just eccentricity. Um, and the Heisenberg section is the most explicit around that, I think. Yes, um, so and the idea that, that the, we equate, which is, that, which is an idea that goes back to Aristotle, I mean, it, it's, a, you know, it's a long-lived idea and it's a very harmful one, but the idea that we, we equate madness with genius is a very dangerous idea and, and I'm kind of disappointed to see a, a book in the 21st century embracing this so passionately and so beautifully and poetically and look how wonderful this is and it's not wonderful and I don't think it's it's a a, a useful metaphor to divorce the work product of human beings from the human beings and that is what in a lot of cases this book seems to do when it pushes out to this edge of Heisenberg doesn't even remember how he came up with it they just came to him in a fever dream while he was wandering the island um, and and Schro- a lot of Sch- you know, Schrodinger stuff came to him through his visions as well when he was sick. I mean, it's just I I resist that most strongly. Yes, I agree with you that it is ex- that that idea is extremely strong in that novella, and 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 it is a bulk of the book too. And there's also oh I forgot I, I was just checking my notes, but I but I didn't write it down. There's the Prussian prince as well, mm-hmm. who also. You know, the, who's holed up in his room, and mm-hmm. and essentially comes up with a theorem and says, and and, and and you know that no one's seen him for days, and he's in his own filth, and then yep. and he turns around and says, "Have I gone mad?" You know, he gives he gives his theorem to to his friend and says, "Have I gone mad?" I mean, it's 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 as literal as you, this is. Abatut <laughs> is not hiding this idea; it is right there. It's boom, here you go. So I yeah. absolutely agree with you. I do feel that the earlier novelettes are a little bit more nuanced on this in as much as they are like with the Schwarzschild chapter or the the Grothendieck chapter it's about this idea of of seeing a, a bit like seeing god and and not being driven mad but being but, but but understanding a truth that is so horrific in a sense that you just hmm. de- you just detach yourself from reality um Schwarzschild gets literally sick uh, whether I mean, love it romantically sort of links his discovery of the black hole with his sickness. It's you know, I mean, yeah. I think that 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 word that you just used, I think, is, is what 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 gets me because the, the book is a very romanticized book, even when it is grotesque. There is that romantic quality to it. Yes, and that's something that. That's why I like it so much. That just did not connect with me because I feel like this is something we've been doing for a long time. Um, this romanticization of of mental illness and madness and and all of this. And it's so, so, it's. I, but that's I, my point. The romanticization. So, see, I agree with you, but I also think there is an uh, there's an element in the book where the um, the roman it's that idea of the tr- seeing the transcendent. Of witnessing the transcendent mm. and for whatever reason not being able to cope, this idea that mathematics will be the destruction of us, that that, mm. that, that ones and twos and threes and zeros will ultimately destroy us all. And I find that quite profound as an idea. The, the, the foundations of reality itself holds 
uh, our own destruction, and, and that these revelations that these, you know, that, that Schwarzschild had in the trenches of World War One, etc., mm. to me actually was quite profound. And yes, it was romanticized, but that's potentially why. So, so that's why I wanted to mention Ben Peake. He called it. Uh, it's as if um, a really charismatic science teacher was teaching you, you know, science. <laughs> And, yes, and I would what, agree. I would agree with that. Yes, and, and yes, he's right. Absolutely. And I think there's not enough of that. I think there's we, we, in this current age where science has been ridiculed and elites and blah blah blah. And I don't want to get into it all, but you know what I mean. I don't have to go. I'll just say two words: Joe Rogan. Uh, in, in 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 all that's happening now, I actually think a book like this, noting what you've said, is actually important because. It does romanticise some of the more incredible discoveries and how we came to them, and just some of the, I don't know, the the profound Here's nature the of the pro- human mind. But, but, I, it, but doesn't, I it, it doesn't story. it doesn't show you how we came to them. Well, not not, not in that's a, the not, pro- not, and that's not, the problem. That not is in a methodical way. True, not in a methodical way. Not even in a in a in a like. I, I keep coming back to the Heisenberg. Yeah. Okay chapter and around him being on the island and and so on um and like it it doesn't it doesn't show you the scientists doing the work like it doesn't show you well it does have him doing a lot of scribbling but he doesn't know that he doesn't even remember doing yes that he doesn't understand that he doesn't know where it came from well okay he okay so to be clear it's not that he it, he has difficulty reverse engineering what he what he came up to, and, yep. and that's and sh- oh, that's he understands that, his work, but he doesn't yes. know and, and how he came up with it, and or that's where reflected it came in from. the Schrodinger bit as well. Schrodinger yep. also has mm-hmm. this moment of ge- moment of genius, scare yep. quoting it, uh, and doesn't entirely understand how he got from A to B. That, and, that, and, that's, and that happens; those those leaps, those leaps of intuition, or those leaps of revelation, happen regularly in in. Well, in in all sorts of creative work that humans do, whether it's whether it's science or arts or or, or what have you, um, that's where a lot of this stuff comes from. And, and you do sit there and go, "How did I even? Wow, where did that just? You know?" And I'm not objecting to that. I'm not saying that there has to be that there can't be those those um, moments of revelation and insight and intuition which just happen because, and they happen because of all the work that you've done of what you've put into your head and what you've thought about and what's been going on in your unconscious while you're not working. Um, And all, like it's still, that all belongs to you. It hasn't come from nowhere. It hasn't come from outside. It's just you may not have a conscious grasp of every tiny step along the way. But there's a difference, I think, between talking about that process and and the genuine um, wonder of that process, and if if you read like a, a you know books about any kind of area of science and, and scientific discovery, if you if you read about artists talking about their work, um, this will pop up all the time. It's like this. I, I don't know where that came from. It just it was just there, but it came from the work you've already done. It came from the stuff you've already. Yeah, but but because and I find that sense of mystery thrilling. I, I find, I, but, but this book I, goes beyond that. This book well, goes beyond I, that. It goes it because it links this idea of again madness and genius, and you okay, can't yes, have one but, without but, the other. But there's also, the, but there's also. So we forgot. We haven't. Einstein plays a clear, a clear play mm. in, in in this throughout. Actually, a good chunk of this book, um, yeah. and and his inability to reconcile uh, the Heisenberg Schrödinger situation, I found genuinely fascinating because. Mm. Uh, as as I've seen some, and I, uh, one person say, 
it's a book that both, or, or quantum mechanics is more generally, is a thing that both has given us an ability to explain the world, but also made it more incomprehensible at the same yep. time. And I find that, I love that. I, that's the sort of thing that I love. And yes, I agree mm. with you. The presentation of this by Labatut is has issues. I, I, I yeah. do agree with that. But I still got a great deal out of it in terms of how it made me see the world, which and, and all the reading I did around it. I mean, that's mm. to me that I don't know if you did, but I did quite a lot of uh, uh, a reading around it, um, especially the um, mathematician Alexander uh, Grothendieck, who, who, I, who, who I think it's Grothendieck uh, actually, who, who I'd never heard of. No, me neither. And and actually, and I thought. I, and, and as I'm reading the book and knowing this is a novel and we, we can talk about that element, the structural element, if you want to, but mm. um, is, is, was this, how much of this is made up? But no, no, this is, this is exactly what occurred. He, 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 he had his discoveries, his mathematical discoveries. He, he was frightened by them. He set up a commune. It went all down the shit. He then went and became a hermit. It's, it's, all, it's all there, but he's just, you know, elevated it uh, love it with, his, with the way he's written it. But mm. it's, to me that's fascinating. I'm so, it just is. It is, it is, it is fascinating, um, the, you know, the, the, the facts of. And, and, and I read around it and I got, wow, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess, well, this brings me to my other, I guess, um, larger problem I had with this novel and that is the unless you do a lot of reading around it the absolute impossibility of untangling fact from fiction even when the fiction is purporting to be fact because I was thinking to myself well how how would you do that then and oh and then I read a ghost in the throat it's like oh this is how you do that (laughs) but we'll get to that and I just, I, I didn't like it. I didn't like it when a book that is uh, talking about such themes as dangerous knowledge, um, the, the, the ramifications of human discovery and experimentation without ethical boundaries, um, how knowledge can destroy civilizations and individuals in different ways. Um, when it's when it's talking about big, I mean, th- these are the biggest things you can talk about in fiction, right? These are huge themes, and it just felt like, well, not, it didn't feel like it was. Um, facts were just made up, right? Th- they weren't facts. They were like, here is a, a an imagining of Schrödinger, an imagining of Heisenberg, um, an imagining of a lot of things, and. You know, while it's interesting um, to say that, well, this is this is a novel. It doesn't. Yeah, I don't know. Is, I don't this think this is it what mar- historical fiction has been doing. But I don't feel like this 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 does not drape itself in the garb of historical fiction. This is not a book where you read it, um, and you know, Labatut has said he like the the increase in in fictional elements um, escalated throughout the book. So the first chapter. And I don't know what sentence it is, but I think he said there's only one sentence in the first section, which is fiction. Um, and then it gradually increases and increases. And unless you do a whole bunch of reading, like close reading around, you know, the the scientists and the events um, talked about, how th- there is no way to even know about that. Uh, and when, it, when, when it's a book that's talking about the facts of the world, 
which it is very explicitly, and how dangerous those facts can be, mixing up facts and fiction in the way this book does, I just, I, I kind of disengage with, with the debate because so, I feel like you're not really debating properly. Okay. I have to respond to that. Yeah. So um, he's not the first person to do this. But, oh, I but know. Be that, but be that as it may. Mind you, he's probably the first person to do it the way he did, which is that steady progression of more fiction. I, I think so. And I, and I that, think also the way the book has been, at least as I've seen, the way the book has been uh, marketed or talked about as, as this non-fiction novel. Um, like I said, it doesn't wear it doesn't wear the trappings yeah, of historical but, but, fiction. But to, you don't so, get so the flags do, from the beginning. If you do do the reading around, yep. he has stuck to – he hasn't made shit up in terms of the actual facts of the, of the matter – like, like that, that, that Alexander Grothendieck that situation. That, mm. that, that, that is the, yeah. the, the shape of his life. What he's yeah. done is added, gone into their mental space. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that's the fictional element yeah. for the most part. So, yes, with, let's go back to the, and I know we speak, and it is the half the novel, the Schrodinger bit. Um, and this is the issue that I have with that yeah. section is that, yes, he did have TB. Yes, he did go to convalesce. Uh, yes, he did go to this particular place that mm. that that, that um, Labertud says. I don't. I couldn't find any record if there was a daughter. Uh, uh, in, 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 there might be. That might be in the biography, but I couldn't. I believe see there. I I don't think there was. But yes, yeah, so I couldn't find it. So all that stuff is potentially fictional. Um, and 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 then and then and and, and then the, the discomforting where he where he basically fills her up mm. is yeah is completely fictional although well within Schrodinger's uh, <laughs> peccadillos. But, but as uh, you but, say, as you say, it is rather forgiving to Schrodinger because even but, but it is it is he and that's frames why it as he has an impulse, but not not a general impulse for young girls. Yes, and that's a desire for this one girl who he. Uh, frames within his head as as being older and more mature than she actually is. Yes. Um, and and also say, angelic. He and also he does by, the whole angelic yeah. thing with her. And yeah. he feels repelled by by that. Whereas and, and I think this is my problem. So it's not I'm not saying that the book is full of um you know alternate facts about science itself <laughs> and about quantum mechanics or anything like that. But he he is writing about in great detail real people. And I think one of the things we do when we write about real people, there's a, you know, there's that that phrase that to, you know, to the we are respect to the living, but to the dead we owe we owe only truth. And that's pretty profound, actually. That is pretty profound. And I think it works both ways. Because, you know, people who are dead can't defend themselves, can't correct a record. And also because they become a part of our culture and our history. And as soon as we start messing about too much with that, you know, I mean, gosh, come on, we, we're in 2022. We know all about alternative facts and fake news and all of this shit, right? We know the danger that we are living in at the moment with people inhabiting, genuinely inhabiting alternate realities, genuinely, right? We know that. And I keep coming back to, I know it, it sounds very, um, or it may sound pedantic or, um, you know, conservative or something, but I just come back to the very human responsibility art makers have to tell the truth. And I think when we get, 
when we get so mixed up with this, as this book does, this book takes Schrodinger, who is a real person, and we know a lot about him, and it doesn't flag within the book because of the way the book is structured, because it is, it's built on all of these facts, and there's no framing and there's no explicit flagging of, of, hey, this is really just a novel. What if, you know, this person was actually a vampire or what if this person actually invented this other thing, right? There's no, there is none of that counterfactual kind of flagging that we're used to from, you know, yeah, historical novels, whether they're historical realism or historical fantasy, but there is none of that framing. Um, there is none of the framing that we saw in Francis Spofford's novel, right? We don't get this framing. There's none of the framing that we'll, we'll talk about in Dorian Nigarefa's novel uh, or, or book. Um, and what when we cease to understand the world, which I, I love that translated title, I, I believe it's not, it's not, it doesn't have fidelity to no, it's not, it's not what the original title was, no. But I love it and I think it's very much in line with what the book's talking about. But we do cease to understand the world when we cannot agree on reality. We do cease to understand the world and we <sighs> cease to understand each other. And I think artists do have a responsibility to that concept. And as much as I appreciate what Labatute is doing, I think when you take real figures. And let's not beat around the bush. And this argument comes up in any number of biopics and all this sort of stuff. And people say, oh, but it's just, you know, it's just a fictionalization. You have to expect them to be, you know, um, not exactly, you know, wedded to the truth. And that's true. And there's all sorts of things we do in narratives of, of, of you know, whether they're biopics or, you know, what Libertuti is doing here. There's all sorts of things we do and we will we will merge characters to be composite characters and we will um, smooth out wrinkles to be, uh, you know, a bit more, I guess, narrative friendly and all that sort of stuff. Um, but what we shouldn't do is go so far from the truth that we tell a different story. About but I don't think he is going so far are. from the truth. I don't think that's Schrodinger. I don't think that's how Heisenberg came up with his matrices. Well, you don't know. I don't think so. I think the Schrodinger thing, I think you've got a point because, of, and it's my biggest disappointment with the book, okay? But with the rest, with the Schwarzschild, with uh, Haber, although that one actually is but the most factual. But my thing is we don't know. And I lost faith in this book because it was impossible to tell. And this, you know, for you, this might be a strength of the book, that it is absolutely impossible to tell. It is a strength of the book. It is know, because, because what, is, what is real and what isn't. Um, because what he's trying to do is plumb the depths, plumb, plumb that, 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 try to get to the heart of that, of that incomprehensibility of, of the world that we live in and, and, and how these, these particular men mm. dealt with it or didn't deal with it, as the case may be. You know, um, I mean, we haven't spoken about, um, the Japanese mathematician, Sinichi uh, Mokazuki, who, who published, and this is true, four articles mm. on his blog, uh, 600 pages long, uh, he proving the, uh, finally proving that this, the, 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 the number theory of uh, A plus B equals C, which I didn't know was a thing, and that still bewilders people in 2022, as I understand it. Like, people still don't understand how he came to those conclusions. To me, that is just profound and amazing, and then to then de delve into the thinking, not, not actually um, with him particularly. In fact, mm. he's actually quite careful in that section uh, to sort of sideline um, Machizuki and then turns the focus more onto uh, Grothendieck, but still 
in in doing that, so yeah, so I get that. But in but in looking at what the, the thoughts and, and and processes of Grothendieck and others like Schwarzschild, it's just yes, he gets he tries to plumb that idea of what is what is it that, that we cease to understand? How do we get to that? How does the mind get there? What is this world that we live in? What are these incomprehensibilities? I don't think he comes with any answers, love but hmm. and yes, I agree with you. You sort of begin to doubt the project when you start to read around the Schrodinger bit. I think that is the flaw, the ultimate flaw in the book. As much as I love it, and I'm agreeing with you, as much as mm. I love it, it falters when you realise that the the liberties he's taken, and that's what he's done in, throughout the entire novel, yep. the liberties he's taken with Schrodinger are too great. And, that, and then, yes, once you've seen an author do that with this particular thing, you think, well, shit, did he do it with Heisenberg? Did he do it with X? Did he do it with Y? You know, and, and you start to think, well, Maybe that's actually now a flaw throughout the whole book, and I can I can accept that. I I don't think he has, but I'm going that on faith alone. That's <laughs> that, no, no. Well, I am. But I'm yeah. going on faith yeah. because I did read yeah. a bit around the Heisenberg stuff, and that seemed to be a lot more uh, had more fidelity to it than the Schrodinger, which is 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 not good. Not I can't, it's, it's I can't not put good. it in way. It's not good. And, and no um, one and no one's spoken about. If you read all the reviews. They either don't talk about the Schrodinger bit at all, as I said before, or if they do, they don't mention the fact that he's a pedophile. Yeah. And and this is, and, and I wonder whether this book a year from now or a couple of years from now will get revisited in that sense. Uh, I mean, but- maybe. Um, I guess just listening to what you were what you were talking about then, I guess what it comes down to, and, and I, am <laughs> I am aware I have I am aware I've I have not been able to articulate properly what's in my head but I think I guess where where I come from as a reader is as I said I have not so much recently but I have uh, read a lot of science popular science texts I don't read the actual science because it is beyond me but I've read a lot of you know books that are written about science for the layperson and and I feel that wonder and that amazement that you express, Ian, when I read those books and I read about, you know, how quantum mechanics and chaos theory and evolutionary theory, when I read about that's I, I feel that wonder, I get that. And what I'm feeling when I read La Batute is I, the, the wonder is there, you know, the talk about the science and so on. But I feel like if what if what he's doing with this project by making it a, a novel um, quote unquote, is then the added thing that he's doing that a, a popular science text can't do is that imaginative exploration of the creative mind of a scientist and what is happening inside their head. Well, I reject his thesis of what he believes happens. <laughs> so for me, it's not satisfying because his thesis seems to be, oh, it, it comes from, from madness and the madness of tra- you know, transcendent ideas. And that I resist because I don't, I don't see that in the actual evidence of how discoveries work and the evidence that, that or the lack of evidence, I should say, that links genius and mental illness and madness. Fair enough. And so I reject why the bits that he's putting in that are fiction. I, I don't think that adds to this amazing story of of scientific discovery. Okay. To me, it takes it away, and I, I do believe there is this there is this irresponsibility in you know constructing these very false narratives around real people 
and what they were like and what they did. Because, you know, you're leveraging, you're leveraging the, the truth for want of a <laughs> less precise, a more precise word. Um, you're leveraging the idea that these people really existed, um, that this work was done, these discoveries happened, this is history. You're leveraging that with your reader. Your reader goes, great, you get so many free passes onto so many things. My disbelief is suspended so low it's barely going to fall. Um, and you know you're leveraging that when you work with, with yeah. historical fiction leverages that all the time and it knows it. And I think what comes with that incredible privilege and benefit is a responsibility to make sure you are in some way flagging what you're doing fiction wise and that you remain in some way true to whether you call it um you know the, the, the themes or the spirit or the or the reality so that you're you have a fidelity to that and I don't think Labatut is doing that here so we could speak about this for another two hours. <laughs> we could. I'm going to stop it there, and I'm going to give you that's the final word uh, on that. I think one thing I will say is it's funny when I watch biopics, I often get angry with them because of how many liberties they take. Mm. I didn't have that reaction to this, and maybe it's because I did the read around that I found that mm. Schrodinger aside, that it was more or less cleaving to the truth. But I understand what you're saying, and the, that idea of leveraging and it's a privilege, etc. I get all that. I do. I just came to it from a different perspective and that's why we do this podcast and uh, and, and, and loved it all the same <laughs> yeah. but so let's segue you've already sort we've already sort of done it but I did and I did hint I thought that you were going to raise the erasure of women you didn't so I've I've stereotyped you and patronized <laughs> you just like Ellen well it's men. it's a difficult thing in a text like this because the, the, you know the scientists that he's talking about and these were the key people working in this field at the time were men. Yeah, but, okay, so what I thought you were going to do, see, I'm wrong, is given the topics he was choosing, mm. he could have done a chapter on Marie Curie, I'm just picking, or, mm. or uh, you he know. He could have, uh, yeah. Or, but, or, but, she, or, but he was focusing on quantum physics. Well, no, but, well, he could have done, He, I mean, yes, he could have done one. Uh, yeah, there were there were women, though, in the yeah. field. But, but if, not, a, not of this, um, I guess, esteem at the time. Uh, that's there, there debatable. Were, because I actually did look around and mm. I found that there were contemporaries mm. I, and I did have a list and I don't know where I put it and I now feel really angry and I'm not going to find it. <laughs> but uh, I agree. But, it, would, it would have been good to include some scientists who weren't men. But that that surprisingly was not the main yes, – either yeah, of the main uh, two problems I had with this book. And, and yeah, look, and, and obviously that's not the book he wrote and to argue that point sort of goes nowhere because that's mm. not the book he wrote. Yeah. But it is. But why I find. But why I found that really interesting is when I read. Because of course I picked up. I read this first, hmm. and then and then I picked up um, a ghost in the throat. And as I said before, you know, it, this that is a book very much about how women are erased from mm -hmm. from from history. And I thought, and it did. It really that reading that resonated. Yeah. It actually made me look a bit more poorly against the love of again, yeah. even though. That wasn't his aim, and that's not what he was intending to do. And you shouldn't review the book that wasn't written. Uh, but 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 still, I felt well. well he could have though. Yeah, he, he could. No, have. he could have. And the, the fact that the only um, female characters in the book were very peripheral, and and uh, you know they were yeah, partners, um, with the exception of the young girl in the tu tuberculosis sanatorium, um, and all of that was was in my head as I read it, but at the same time it's like, okay, you were, you were talking about these 
key figures. And we, you know, yes, there were women working in the field and they, they definitely had an effect. And for better or worse, probably for worse, you know, it is not their names who are on these discoveries and who are, you know, lending their name to, you know, Schrodinger's cat foot experiment, for example. Um, these are the names that we, that are linked and, you know, rightly in most cases to these particular lines of discovery um, and they're men. And we can talk about why they're men and how, how you know, female scientists and theorists working at the time wouldn't have been given the same airspace or the same ability to present at conferences. And we can talk about all of that and how it's not just because, you know, it, it, it's only men who can get to this kind of well, level. We just, I, just have to say the word, I just have to say two words, Rosalind Franklin. Yeah, yeah right. Um, you know, so and, and that's it. But... It wasn't something I could kind of hand wave it away because he is talking about these very because he's talking about these very specific people in scientific history who happen to be men. So that's who he's talking about. So, so that was my segue, which then yeah. got us straight back to the topic. <laughs> so that didn't work. Uh, so, so tell us a bit about a ghost in the throat. Ah, well, I'll read you the little blurb that I'm getting from Goodreads. I have both of these books on my Kindle, although I think I'm going to buy a ghost in the throat as hard copy because I that feels like a book I want to look at my shelf and see not just have it buried on my kindle so this is what the blurb has to say a true original in this stunningly unusual prose debut Doreen Nigrafa sculpts essay and autofiction to explore inner life and the deep connection felt between two writers centuries apart in the 1700s an Irish noblewoman on discovering her husband has been murdered, drinks handfuls of his blood and composes an extraordinary poem. In the present day, a young mother narrowly avoids tragedy. On encountering the poem, she becomes obsessed with its parallels with her own life and sets out to track down the rest of the story. A devastating and timeless tale about one woman freeing her voice by reaching into the past and finding another's. Which says a lot and is a very good blurb i guess but, but also that, that it, make, it makes it sound like, like a, a much novel. more cohesive novel than it is. Well, but it makes it sound like a novel <laughs> it does it does it's not a and novel it's it's not a novel um it's a memoir it, with historical <sighs> fiction with historical yeah historical fiction in it it's a it's a memoir 100 percent. it's an extraordinary book yes it's i okay, believe sorry i believe sorry, there are you're right. I'm doing that terrible <laughs> thing where I'm categorising it to yeah. taxonomy. It's the worst. Because I believe there are there are fictionalised there there are techniques in here that are more generally employed in fiction that Nigrifa uses in this book in terms of compression and certain things. Yeah, but I, she I but, but 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 she names herself in the book. So yeah, yeah. So I mean, as, as that thing said, this is this is a mix of of memoir and autofiction and literary criticism and um, research yeah, notes. Right. It's uh, it is a really really amazing book. So did you watch some YouTube videos with her? I watched a video. Is this um, the one in the car? In the car. In the car? <laughs> yeah, I'll isn't link that, to that. that. I'll link to that in the show notes. It's really it's. She talks about um, the writing of the book, but she's so delightful. I mean, she's. she's this, she's like, hello. I mean, you just think, yeah. I, there I is an exuberance to her. Yes. I immediately wanted to be her friend. It was just, and it was she just she reads at the end of that. It's not very long. It's only about four minutes or something. And she reads a section of 
love this book at the end of it and I want her to narrate an audio version of this book because she, so she reads her own words so well, which which not all writers can do. You know, some writers you listen to them read and you, you fall asleep. Yes, I, I, she I reads it. her I, books so well. I was so captivated by that four-minute mm. video that I actually – she's actually – there's quite a bit of her on YouTube reading her poetry and you're right, her reading of her poetry yeah. is, is gorgeous and uh, it's ah, – I've got to buy a poetry like you. Yeah, well. I know, me too. Um, but let's talk about this book. So as that that um, copy suggested, there are fictionalised elements, I believe. I haven't done a hell of a lot of reading about it. Uh, about Eileen Dove or about uh, uh, Dorian? Uh, both, both. Okay. Well, not, not fictionalised so much as, as I said, like, you know, techniques like compression, you know, possibly characters who are composite characters, that's, that sort of thing, right? Okay. Because Because life is messy. Real life is messy um, okay. and it's hard to track. So when you even, you know, even straight memoir, memoir <laughs> that's a word, um, can sometimes uh, be less truthful than memoirists would like us to believe. So this book is about the author, absolutely the author, 100%, not, not a fictionalised version of the author but the author who is a mother. Uh, at the time she was writing this book she had four children under six but at the time she was writing this book, she had four children under six. The material of the book extends further. So the, the thing she's talking about extends before she had those four children. I think she has two when the, the book opens. But anyway, so uh, it goes through her, you know, it touches on her life as a young mother and, and a mother of very young children. Um, her daughter. Who enjoys, who I should point out, enjoys Having children enjoys the yeah enjoys the the the, the process of motherhood very much. Mm. That really that, that's a thread that really runs through. But you keep going. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. No. It's it's not a it's not a oh my god all these children I have no time for anything. She has no time for anything, and she acknowledges that and that she finds frustrating. But she also, as you say, she finds deep deep satisfaction and joy. Yes. In mothering the children and in fact um, in being uh, in providing breast milk for for other. Yes. Babies who may not be able to access that from their own mother for various reasons. Yep. Um, and that's one of the things she does throughout all. She likes being pregnant and she likes nursing and it's one of the things that she does throughout these years of being pregnant and having young children and breastfeeding them is she also pumps milk that she donates to a hospital so that premature babies can have breast milk as opposed to just formula. Because one of her children was premature as well. But she's doing that before... Yes, yes, I know. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah, and yes, one one her daughter when she's born is born very premature and it's touch and go for a while about whether or not her daughter's going to survive and that that section of it where she's in the the neonatal intensive care ward is an extraordinary section. With the other mothers, oh, with the other mothers, oh, the, it's, it's just it's it's yeah. fantastic. And as a way of getting some space, I think some some emotional space um, and some time for herself. She remembers this poem by the this. Uh, it was written by a female poet in the the 18th century, um, Eileen Dov Nikonel. It's a. It, I had not heard of the poem, but it's apparently a very well known Irish poem. And Nigrifa was uh, taught it in school, studied it in, in high school, and it, it it's kind of stuck with her. Kind of stuck with her when she first read it, particularly the scene where the, the, this woman whose husband is is murdered. Um, she she finds his body and, and drinks his blood out of grief and shock and so on. And we should say that the poem is an elegy on on the death of her yeah husband. Of, of her on the murder yeah. of her husband. The yeah. Murder, correct. 
and the and the grief and the rage that she feels yeah. and and so on. Uh, and so Nigrifa remembers this and kind of goes back to the poem and and thus starts this many year obsession with finding out more about the the biographical details of this this poet Alain Dove. And the book is this melding and weaving of biographical elements of Doreen Nigrifa's life, which we can take as truthful as as any other memoir or autobiography um, and her very much imagined biography of Eileen Dove Nikonel because she finds in her research very little information and so she she is building from from her reading of the poem from the tiny historical documents she does find in her research um, in libraries and so on all of which she does in the moments captured between taking care of children or while fold, folding the washing or while yeah. there's this there's this, at the uh, opening of the book there's um well actually i just just want to quickly read one of the opening sentences mm-hmm. which sort of sums the, the book up uh, where she says uh, this is a female text composed while folding someone else's clothes my mind holds it close and it grows tender and slow while my hands perform innumerable chores and so that's yeah. that's re- that really sums it up that that, that that a lot of this investigative work and she also translates the poem as well it's been translated mm. a bazillion times but yeah. she does her own and that's and that in a sense is the catalyst for the investigate the detective yeah she, she she she's not happy with uh, the translations yes so she wants to to try to translate make and a just by the by a nice feature of the book is the mm. translations at the at the end uh, so you get to and read. isn't that because I didn't really like I didn't look at the table of contents or anything I just started reading it and like as I'm reading it I'm like oh gee I must. I'd really like to go and, like, I'd like to read this poem. And, like, I wonder if she's actually published her translation that she's talking about. And there it is at the end of the book. It was the most delightful surprise. <laughs> Wouldn't have been a surprise if I'd read the table of contents, but still it was like, oh, my God, there it is. I got my wish. I read the table of contents so I knew it was coming. <laughs> yeah, so that, that's that's this book. And it is, it is beyond that is very difficult to describe. So it is this sort of patchwork of, Biography, autofiction, historical research, literary criticism, because she she talks about other people's translations of the poem and her own translation and what she and what she finds difficult. She doesn't think her translation is adequate either. She finds them all lacking, and I guess that might be something you could say about about any translation. Any translation is only going to be. A, a ghost or a mimic of the original. You, you, we, we only translation is not a perfect art. You will never get that original work unless you know the language and you read it. Um, the translation is the best approximate meaning we can we can get if we bring it into a into our own language. And she she says that, and that is one of her frustrations that she she, she feels she she just can't quite get it either. But it is a beautiful work. The poem that she has has written at the end that she's she's pulled from this original Gaelic poem is lovely, really, really nice. I mean, horrible, horrible content, but, <laughs> but beautifully written. And, yeah, and this this is just the most amazing book I have read in a long, long time. Uh, and it makes absolutely no apology for the fact that it is, it is the story of the writing of this book to some extent. It is absolutely extraordinary. You get this beautiful window into what it takes to to write a book like this. It's a very sort of meta work. And the thing that I, I really loved about it, and this goes back to, I guess, what we were talking about with what I was talking about, the Labatut, 
what Negrifa does with a ghost in the throat is it's flagged, it's discussed, addressed directly within the text what she's doing in rebuilding the life of Olindov because she acknowledges this, this is made up, this is made up, this is what I feel as a woman, as a mother, as a wife, this is how I feel, this is how she might have feel felt. Here are the little bits of historical fact I've managed to glean. Here is the the the, the notes in the marriage register. Here is the you know and and here is the imaginative creative story I'm gonna build. The the that. little the, the the very thin or pamphlet that Eileen's uh, son wrote. Yep. That that yep. also actively erases his mother. Yep. You know, uh, it's yeah, those sorts of little scatterings. Yeah. Of detail, yeah. And and that is almost certainly why rather than have any kind of a problem with what Negrufa was doing. Yeah, because she's signposting. It's it's yeah. Because it's just like here here is what I as a twenty first century mother, young mother and poet yeah. can imagine my counterpart several centuries ago being like. And it was astonishingly done. And it this is to me that is that is a spectacular achievement. Yeah, and and, and, and it is no less that, spectacular for being flagged that it is purely imaginative. Yeah, and that contrast, I, I think we've mentioned Schrodinger enough, but I have to mention him again. <laughs> the fact of the matter is, there is a shit ton of detail about Schrodinger. Mm. You know, mm. you're not you're not short on it. He's there's what he wrote. There's what others, his contemporaries, biographies. But that's how we know that he was a pedophile. I mean, yeah. There's shit ton right with Eileen Dove. There's next to nothing beyond to her nothing. poem, and so of course you have to have an act of, of imagination. And so I suppose, and I had this feeling as well. Why you that trading a bit becomes a bit more offensive because mm. Labatut is imagining something where there is other evidence that he could have used but chose not to. Whereas and and stitching Degrof- his and stitching his own pedi- seamlessly into. Correct. In fact. Into fact. Correct. Yeah. De Crawford does not have that luxury. She yeah. has to make it out of whole cloth based on the very scant bits of info. I love the second half of the novel mm. is as propulsive as anything you're going to mm. read. It is this great, it's a detective novel. It is. Sense. It is. Looking looking through all these historical records for, yeah. for even like the hint of, of this poet. And, you know, the, the fact that it talks about the, the you know, the Labatute talks about the work of, of science to greater success for you than me. This book, Negrifa is talking about the work of historians and archivists and literary critics and, and the, the, the real like blow-by-blow blow work they do to write about their subjects. And she's transparent with that. This is what I'm doing. This is this is how hard it is. This is how difficult it is. These are the challenges. These the these are the ethics around this. Is it ethical for me to be to be, you know, she says at one point she feels like she's spying on this woman. Right? Is it ethical to be doing this? Should should she not just leave Eileen Dove in the grave? You know, is it what what are the ethics between trying to resurrect an erased woman? Erased only in her biography, not in the work, although as Nigrafer talks about, um, there there has apparently been a, you know scholarship in the past that does attempt to take the poem away from her and say, well, actually, it was probably written by her father or 
uh, or her brother, I can't remember who was attributed to it. Um, but but what are the ethics of the objectively important work of restoring women's place in, in history and the arts and the contribution that they make and their ongoing impact and poking about in someone's personal life? Where, where that ethical tension that she talks about, I hadn't ever really kind of looked at it that way. Again, because I guess I feel like to the dead we owe any truth, right? Yep. But maybe we don't owe the whole truth. Maybe there's some parts, and not with not with Eileen Dove, because there's almost nothing there to find anyway. But I don't know. Maybe no. But 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 the enormous responsibility. I mean, I don't yeah. know how many biographies, autobiographies, so not autobiographies, mm-hmm. but biographies have been written about Eileen Dove. But I'm getting the feeling it's next to none. I didn't actually re- look around that point. I don't think there is because there's nothing to write about. Like if you were going to write an actual proper historical biography, there'd be nothing. There'd be nothing yeah, yeah. To and, and, your, and so and so. And so De Kriefer knows that this book, to an extent, is about the, the, the first and potentially the first and last word on this topic. And that, that she's she's quite there's a as you said, there's the ethics of it, but also the responsibility that comes mm. with that. Yeah. And that's why she goes into such detail around the detective work that she's doing uh, to, to, to try and uncover this. But th- and that makes it sound a little bit mechanical and cold, but it's not. It's brilliant. It's not mechanical and cold. Because because in amongst all that is her is her because what also is happening is not just the motherhood stuff, but she also goes back to her college years and her school years mm. and her desire initially to be, I think it was a dentist. Yeah. And and the and the, all that stuff around the autopsy. Yep. <laughs> and, and there, there's goes, so much in this book. I know. Yeah. And, and, and and you get this idea uh, of, of 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 a woman who's who's also trying to is seeking what is her place? Where where's mm. her what's her, her epiphany gonna be? What's her what's her place? Where's she mm. gonna go? What's she gonna do? And 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 it's it, that evolution is also terrifically handled by her because it's her life, obviously. Mm. And the way she weaves that into Eileen Dove without, and this is very important, trying to make well, I'm like her. Yes, there are parallels, but she's not trying to pretend that one is a mirror of the other mm. in that sort of twee nauseating sense. No, she she she. In fact, there's many occasions where she's talking about how you know this this woman's actually very alien to her. Yes, yeah, she can only she can only project her own twenty first century consciousness on this person, which would be a very alien consciousness to someone living in the eighteenth century. And she has a loving marriage, for example. Mm. So she can't. You're right. Yeah, sorry. What you said that alien nature that that's mm. that's there throughout. This isn't a, a, a mirror or a parallel situation going on. That's what again makes it so interesting and so rich as a, as a text. Yeah, and I mean, when when you come right down to it, like this this book is, it, it, it's amazing, but it's it's the story of failure actually, because she doesn't ever find Eileen Dove in history. I think she, she can't, does though. She can't put outside of her imagination. She can't put but together. The yeah, life I, of this woman. I, I, know, I know. I know what you're saying. I, yeah. I, I know she, what you're saying. And she she doesn't even feel that her translation of the poem. Does it hundred percent? Well, well, she can't confirm where Eileen Dove was buried. I mean, this yes. is this is one of the key. Oh yeah, she she, d- she can't even find her remains. Her bones. Yeah, her <laughs> remains. Correct. Yeah, a- and this is what that is one of the key lodestones of the novel that she can't actually say. Well, yeah. she was buried there. She knows where her sons and her husband. Uh, no, her sons definitely. I, that wasn't mm. yeah. And Arthur, her, her, her uh, husband, were buried. I think that's clear. Yeah. Definitely her sons, but not. Eileen herself, and there is this whole thing about how, and this is historical record, about how her, her one, her elder brother 
sort of treated her as a. It, 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 she was in the house, yeah. but was 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 cast out essentially, and her her younger brother was against this. And there's a whole there's a whole mm. dynamic going on. But again, she's spoken about in her absence, or as if she doesn't exist, uh, yeah. or, or, or as a side figure. Anyway. I, no, but, but I'm babbling. I, mean. I know I'm babbling, but but it's and but, it's, but but if you if you were if you were looking at this as a as a like a fictional narrative, it you know the the idea that after all this work she doesn't yeah, it's unsatisfying. She, she doesn't find her in history. She doesn't find where she's buried. She she's not happy with her own translation of the poem. It's it like to to talk about it in dry terms. It feels like oh this is this ends on a downbeat, but it's not. It, it's triumphant because she's done what she can. And she's found for herself this connection with this this woman as much as she debates the ethics of what she's doing. And I think the book is, it, it's profoundly ethical in the way it presents this story. It really is. And it, it's it's about motherhood and it's about historical research and it's about the ethics of talking about human beings who actually lived in the world as opposed to ones you made up completely in but your head. specifically women, though, And, text. of course, women. The erasure of women, um, which continues. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, it's um, it's an extraordinary book. I, I cannot recommend it highly enough. It's it's just amazing. And it's written with the uh, eye of a poet. The language. Oh my god! The, the, I haven't even spoken about the language. The language is astonishing. It it is so beautiful. The 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 sparseness of it when it's needed the the richness of it when when you want that really baroque lush overwritten parts just the the observations that she makes about herself and her family and the world and Eileen it's it's just the most beautifully written book apart from its actual subject matter and, and its structure and so on the the sentence by sentence is just astonishing it is I mean I'm actually going through there is just so many. And I highlighted I, so many things. <laughs> I no. mean, there's a, there's a, there's a, I'll just give one sentence. Perhaps the past is always trembling inside the present, whether or not we sense it. And and there's just a uh, oh my god, it's just such a beautiful poetry to the to this book. And I, look, I don't want to say too much because it, it is something you need to experience yourself. Because you're right when as we're talking about it, it does sound a little drier than. Than it is. I mean, you're you're looking for a quote now, aren't you? I, <laughs> yeah, I was. I'm just. Uh, there I is think... a beautiful one, but I'm scared to read it out because it's got some Gaelic in it, and I know I'll fuck it up. But there's a beautiful passage where she uh, puts um, a tattoo in white ink on her on herself. Where, I'll, I'll, but even I'll read a little bit of that section, just just a very small bit of it, where she says, "This is about the tattoo. I wanted to leave a message for the strangers who would be the last to touch me." And this is this goes back, harking back to the fact that she worked on bodies. She, she did autopsy uh, when she was studying. So yeah, I wanted to leave a message for the strangers who would be the last to touch me. In choosing white ink for my tattoo, I thought of the milk bank. I thought of the Queenard emerging from a sequence of pale throats. I thought of all the absent texts composed by women. Those works of literature never transcribed or translated. And it goes on. But look, it, it, yeah, go. You're going to read something. Yeah, so I was going to read a part from where she's talking because, as we said, she she donates milk, um, and she doesn't produce a lot of milk. She says one of her breasts doesn't produce almost any milk, so it's just um, and so then she ends up with breasts of two different sizes, and so bra shopping is a whole thing. Um, anyway, that's aside. I, I learnt uh, a lot. I learned. Yeah. A lot. <laughs> so I'm going to read a passage where she's talking about. Um, 
whether she's going to wean one of her her young children because she obviously you don't produce milk unless you keep breastfeeding. So she if she if she, once a current young child is weaned, um, she will stop producing milk and she won't be able to donate milk to the milk bank. So she says, I am excruciatingly tired. Yes, so tired that I frequently repeat myself. So very, very tired. And yet I still procrastinate over whether to wean. To lure this child away from my body and train her hungers elsewhere would be to pull myself from my comfortable burrow of service. I can't do it. The ritual of giving myself to another is so exquisite. I have made an invisibility of myself neatly concealed in rooms made by female labour and repetition and milk. It's just extraordinary writing, people. I cannot recommend this book enough. I will read. I think I am going to buy the physical copy and reread it. So I know we've probably spent more on the Labatut than we have on, on A Ghost in the Throat, but I don't want you to think that uh, that makes that a lesser book. It is. It's, look, I'll be honest, it's probably the I enjoyed it more, yes. Ah, I enjoyed in, it in, so much more. Well, I know. Well, duh. In <laughs> retrospect, I enjoyed it more. Um, so, uh, but, yeah, I, I think I think this is just go out and get it. it, it it's uh, it's from Tram Press. It is – look, I actually think go out and get both. Um I think you'll get. I think people, depending on how they approach it, will get a lot out of the love to it. I, I still love it. Uh, at, at worst, to quote Ben Peak again, it's like reading a. It's like getting a, a lesson from a charismatic science teacher. So you know that, that, that can't be too bad, can it? Yeah. Well, I don't know. Then you can go away and read a bit about Schrödinger and find out how awful he actually was as a person. This is. I've never met, said the word Schrödinger so many times in an hour and a half period. And frankly, I would be quite happy never to say his name again. <laughs> Having read what I've read about him, I, I'd be, you know, and, and that cat, I, I'm call it something else. Uh, but yeah, that's this is a, this is a problem we have when we name things after people, isn't it? Yeah, this is, it is. This is a problem. Call no, it, it, call it, call it Eileen Dove's cat or something. It's a, <laughs> pick someone else. You know, it's it's uh, the uncertainty cat. Yeah. You know, tell it what it is rather than have to remember a name. That's just a word you have to remember. It doesn't even relate to the, the thing I, I, the I suppose there you're is, talking about. Unless I you know suppose there the is some revenge that the whole cat thing is the one thing that he hated the most being connected to him uh, because it was meant to be a thought experiment to show the ridiculousness. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, and uh, and it, it, it kind of does, but that's but the ridiculousness is only because, like, a, a cat doesn't operate on a quantum level. Yeah, but 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 the end it didn't prove the point he was hoping it would prove. No, that's and what so I mean. He yeah. hates the idea that it's. But anyway, whatever. I don't want. To, we're, still, we're talking about him again. Let's stop. Let's just let's just move on from that. Move on. A ghost in the throat. Unanimous recommendation. Can't recommend it highly enough. It, it is without exaggeration one of the best books I've read in the last decade. It is just astonishingly good on every single level. I can't. Yeah, I literally can't bar. fault this book. It's amazing. And I would still recommend when we cease to understand the world by Benjamin Labatut and translated by, as we should always mention, the translator by Adrian Nathan west okay uh you've we're gonna wrap up aren't we yes i think we are so the next episode which will be in march um we are talking about i i can't wait to find out how these books are connected <laughs> there's no way there's no possible way they can be connected <laughs> <laughs> let's see um so i've chosen the witch elm by tara french uh why? again why? just based on uh some recommendations that filtered across my feeds from people whose opinion I quite trust. And I've not read Tara French. so I Neither have I. And I know everyone goes on about Tara French. Yeah. And I know that she's one, like, unlike, unlike um, 
Dorian Griffith, um, I, I had heard of Tara French. I just never have read any of her work. Um, so I'm looking forward to reading this one, which has come highly recommended by some people. And the second book is one that Ian chose, which is My Phantoms by Gwendolyn Riley. Uh, and I had not heard of Gwendolyn Riley, so I'm looking forward to reading her work. Would you like to know why I chose it? Sure. <laughs> I don't want to tell you. Uh, no, so I read her previous novel a couple of years back, First Love, which I really liked. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of people are over the top about my phantoms. Like they said, it's even better. So, and it's um, a novel. Well, you know what? I don't know anymore. Yes, <laughs> I believe it is a novel. <laughs> But who knows? I thought so we're, uh, we're reading two actual novels next. Well, month. I, I think so. I thought it goes in the throat was a novel, but uh, yeah, I'd lo- I believe my Phantoms is a novel. Yes, well, yeah. First Love was definitely a novel, but you know what? That, that's another thing. It could also be autofiction because who the hell knows these days? It's it's it's, it's really interesting. I think the word. I mean, as much as look, I think most of the long form fiction that's published um, in this space could still absolutely be called a novel fair and square but i think we're we're missing a word now for these other books like a ghost in the throat which is not a novel i don't even know if when we cease to understand the world can actually be called a novel either by content or structure so i don't know i don't know i'd I'd lean towards when we cease to understand the world to be um either a collection of creative essays or perhaps a mosaic i don't think novel is the word for that book yeah, so I just um, finished. I, look, we, I can't believe we're going to get in this conversation. But, I, but that's what I mean. I think I think the word novel has become wrongly synonymous, perhaps, with long form fiction. So I just read a visit from the Go- I just read a visit from the Good Squad from by Jennifer Egan. You know, only ten years, twelve years after it was published, and it's I suppose technically a mosaic as it's all individual mm. short stories, but it does read like a novel. It has the the, the feel of a novel. And she calls it a novel, and the and her latest one, which I'm now reading, also is is it's connected to Goon uh, Goon Squad, and also is separate characters, separate chapters. But mm. it has yeah. The- see, I don't know. I mean, it, we we either we either hollow out the word novel to such an extent that it just means stuff that's a, more than a, 50, a long words. work yeah. caught between two covers <laughs> that isn't an actual explicit collection of short fiction. Or, or we have to come up with one or maybe more than one word to describe these other long-form works of prose, which may or may not even be fiction. I don't even know what to call a ghost in the throat. It's not fiction. It's, also it's not, not memoir, memoir either. It's also not memoir. I've been calling it a book, but that feels <laughs> about as hollow a word as you could possibly. It's your bare minimum to describe <laughs> the artefact that I've read. <laughs> Um, so it's I'd interesting. Call, the I've been calling it a bound bunch of uh, pages. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I mean, that, that's it. I think, I, it, like novel, the word novel is a very interesting um, thing to consider, and what what we mean by novel when we when we say it. And maybe it, it is just shifting to become this idea of well, it's 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 prose that's long form, and to me, it feel it doesn't feel precise enough. But right, um, anyway, you, let's, that's let's something we can talk no, about another day. <laughs> let's keep going. Um, <laughs> Yes. Oh, just quickly before I go, I did read um, The Last House on Needless Street by Katrina Ward that I said I was going to and? in our break. I really liked it. Didn't like it as much as Little Eve, but I did really like it. Okay. Thank so, you. Thanks for that. Just a short recommend <laughs> for those of you who, who like Little Eve. I'm sure you will like The Last House on Needless Street. It was very good. 
So that brings us to the very end of our podcast where you can send feedback by commenting at the website, which is writerandcritic.podbean.com, sending an email to writerandcritic at gmail.com, or you can follow at writerandcritic on Twitter and depending how much energy Ian has, you may get a response. Zero. But if you're from the Department of Transport, you can email my work address. Okay, we're not going to give that one out. No, I'm not giving um, that out, but I'm just saying. <laughs> well, if you're, if you're from DOT, you will, you will know what Ian's work address is. So, um, And, of course, you may sponsor us on Patreon if you can. And a big thank you, as always, to our wonderful patrons who do sponsor us. You help keep the lights on with the, the small amount of expenses that we do have here. So that is it. Uh, we will see you in March. I hope you enjoyed reading those two books if you did. Otherwise, um, I hope you enjoyed us talking about them. And we've not spoiled A Ghost in the Throat at all. You could not spoil this book. No, it's um, impossible. So, and we probably haven't spoiled When We Cease to Understand the World either. So, yeah, as much as you could spoil it. I'm very underwhelmed by that book, Ian. <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> I think I've gotten more disliking of it during this podcast. But anyway, there we go. <sighs> Bye, everyone. See ya. Bye. See you next month. Hey, the whole reason I agreed to do this podcast a million billion years ago was that if I ever published anything again, I would have a a venue to talk about my shit. This reminds me that I am the writer of the writer and the critic. Very nice.